Well, thank you, Peter, for that introduction. Those were good questions. And here's another question that I'd like to start with. How good do you think our knowledge is of Jesus' teaching? Or to put it another way, how well do we know the things that Jesus uh, taught and said? Those are questions that I've been wondering about this week. But don't worry, I'm not going to put anyone on the spot. This isn't a test of what we know of Jesus' teaching this morning. Just thinking about my own example I've been coming to church regularly for many years. Uh, I've been reading the Bible for almost all my adult life. And yet I'm still surprised quite often at things that I uh, don't know or that I haven't understood. So let me give you just a recent example of that. Since the start of the year, we've been going through Matthew's Gospel. And uh, for the past three weeks, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, as we know. In fact, if you've got a Bible please can you turn to chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel, because that's where we're going to find the start of the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm going to be referring to it quite a bit. So if you can have that open in front of you, that would be really helpful. Uh, Page 968 in the Church Bibles, if you have one of those. There are 28 chapters in Matthew's Gospel, and the Sermon on the Mount is the name that we give often to refer to chapters 5, 6, and 7. And these are chapters that contain what Jesus taught his disciples just after he called them to follow him. And they're unusual, because all we have in these chapters, in these three chapters, are the words of Jesus. Actually, that's not entirely true, because at the very start of chapter 5, we have one sentence that sets the scene for us. And right at the end of chapter 7, we have one sentence uh, that tells us how people responded to Jesus' teaching. But apart from that, we just have Jesus' words. No one else says anything. Nothing else happens. We just have Jesus' teaching, pure and simple, or not so simple, if you know what I mean. Now, if you were to read through these three chapters aloud, I reckon it would take you about 12 minutes, depending on how quickly you read. So, in a sense, it's just like a talk that Matthew is giving to his followers. It's possible that what we have are Matthew's edited highlights. We don't actually know how long Jesus spoke for. But if it was just 12 minutes, and that's a lot shorter than many of the talks that we have here on a Sunday morning at Portswood Church. And as we heard a few weeks ago, Jesus uh, begins this talk with a series of statements about blessedness uh, that we call the Beatitudes. You can find them right there at the beginning of chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, and so on. Now, over the years, like you probably, I've heard many sermons, many talks on the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. And I know that I've read the Sermon on the Mount many times, especially in the last few weeks. But a couple of weeks ago, after Louise's talk, I tried to remember what the Beatitudes were without going to Matthew's Gospel to read them. 
And you know what? I really struggled to come up with what the Beatitudes were. I couldn't list all of them. And that made me wonder, how much do I know of Jesus' teaching? And how important is it to me what Jesus taught? And I like to think I actually know quite a lot of the Bible. But in reality, there are many things that I don't know. And lots of things that I've forgotten. But that's okay, I think. I think that's okay because being a disciple is about learning. And being a disciple begins with listening to Jesus and looking at Jesus in order to learn from him and in order to follow him. I've realized that that's an ongoing process. It doesn't stop. We never stop listening or learning. We never stop being disciples. We don't graduate onto something else. We remain Jesus' disciples for as long as we live, as long as we don't give up learning from him. So that's what I want to underline this morning, the first thing that we get from these chapters, that we still have a lot to learn. We still have a lot to learn, and that's only a problem if we think we know more than we do. Because that was the problem for the people that Matthew refers to here as Pharisees and teachers of the law. And that's exactly what I think Jesus is trying to address here with his teaching. One of the things I've come to uh, recognize over the years is that it's very easy to behave like a Pharisee. It's very easy to think like a teacher of the law. And as you know, as we've already heard, the Sermon on the Mount contains some very well-known words and phrases like eye for eye and tooth for tooth or turn the other cheek. Uh, These are phrases that have become part of our common language, phrases that people use perhaps without even knowing that they come from the Bible or that they're things that Jesus said. But there's a lot more to Jesus' teaching than just some well-known words and uh, It's how these things fit together, and it's the difference that they make to us that I want us to be thinking about today. Uh, As I've mentioned already, Jesus begins by talking about what it means to be blessed. And as Louise said in her talk, it's not really what we expect. Jesus seems to be, all through this Sermon on the Mount, redefining things and challenging the way that we see things and challenging the way that things work or the way that we think things work. We've given the title Upside Down Kingdom to this series of talks, and I I think that fits really well. Jesus, in what he's teaching here, is definitely turning things around so that we get a very different perspective. He wants to challenge what we think about things. So just to give you another example of that, Jesus says to the people who are listening to him, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Why would Jesus have said that, do you think? Perhaps he's wanting to challenge how they think about themselves. Perhaps he's wanting to challenge how they see themselves. It sounds to me like Jesus is telling them that they have a much more important role to play than perhaps they've realized. And what about us? What difference would it make to us if we were to take this to heart? 
You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This is who you are. I think that that would make a big difference to how we see ourselves and how we see our lives. And after that, again, it's redefining things. It's challenging things. Jesus challenges what they think he's come to do. He hasn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. He hasn't come to get rid of what was written in the law. Rather, he's come to fulfill everything. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, that's what Peter was talking about. And then Jesus redefines their understanding of righteousness when he says that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' purpose and aim seems to be to challenge the way we see things and to change the way that we think about things. And that's as true today as it was when he first said these things. The Pharisees thought that the way to go about ensuring that people would keep the law was to add more law, to add more specific rules. And again, Peter mentioned that in his talk. But Jesus knows that if you're going to get people to change the way that they behave, you have to change the way they think about things. And you have to change the way that they see things. And that's what Jesus is doing here. The phrase that Jesus repeats again and again is, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. He wants people to change their perspective, and he does it by redefining what they know and what they understand So he goes on, and he redefines their understanding of murder and adultery. Jesus says that you don't literally have to kill someone in order to be a murderer. And it's enough to be so angry that you say harsh and hurtful words. You don't have to have physical relations with someone in order to commit adultery. It's enough to look at a person lustfully. And those are challenging things. And as Jesus says these things, perhaps it makes us question ourselves and think about our own anger or our lust or our honesty, thinking about what Andrew said last week about promises and let your yes be yes and your no be no. But what I find really interesting is that Jesus says even more than that. He goes on and he applies this teaching. So when we hear these words, we often think, yes, what about my anger or my righteousness or what about me entering the kingdom of heaven? But Jesus talks about the problem of anger and then this is how he applies the teaching. He says, therefore, if you, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. And then come and offer your gift. So think about that. If someone has something against us, it probably means that there's some anger involved. Or if someone is taking us to court, then it's quite likely that their feelings towards us might tend towards anger. So could Jesus be saying that if we're in the middle of doing our acts of worship, if we realise that someone has got something against us, that someone is angry towards us, then what we need to do, do is go to that person and seek reconciliation. If we're taking anger seriously, 
that it's not just when we're angry, but perhaps when other people are angry towards us. And that gets to the heart of the passage that we're looking at today. And it's the same with his uh, teaching about adultery. If you look at it, Jesus wants us to think not just what might lead us down this road towards adultery, but rather what might cause someone else to be the victim of adultery or what event or action might result in another person committing adultery. So that's the second point that I want to make this morning. Thinking about how Jesus uh, applies his teaching to us is important, but we still need to think about other people. And it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus wants us to think about others and not just ourselves, especially when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. He says just a little bit further on, so do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. If you wanted to, to have a summary of the whole of the law, it would be do to others what you would have them do to us. And that's something that we need to think about. Thinking about others is at the heart of this next section. So let me read, starting at verse 38 of chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. These are quite familiar words, aren't they? And these instructions seem fairly straightforward when we first hear them, but we need to think about what Jesus really means and what putting these instructions into practice might look like. Sadly, we live in a world where there are evil people and where mistrust, uh, mistreatment and injustice are a daily reality. A little later on, when talking about giving gifts, Jesus says, which of you, if your son asks for, a, for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in that context of giving good gifts, Jesus slips in, you... If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts. So perhaps we also fall into this same category of being evil. And from time to time, it's us. We mistreat other people. We hurt other people. We commit injustices. That's almost certainly the case, isn't it? So what do we do with these instructions? And what do we do when people mistreat us and hurt us and take things from us or force us to do things for them? Is it okay to go with our natural instinct and to give as good as we get? Jesus knows that our natural response is to retaliate, to extract some kind of revenge or, or to respond in a like-for-like -like manner when we're hurt. But, he says, there's another way, a way that's only possible because we have a heavenly father who sees injustice and who's able to right wrongs and defend our cause without us having to do anything. 
And that's what I think Jesus is addressing here. He knows about the human heart. He knows about human nature. I don't think I've ever been slapped on the cheek. But I can remember once at school being punched in the mouth uh, during a basketball practice. And as the person who did that to me turned to walk away, the thing that I wanted to do more than anything was to jump on him and attack him. And I would have done it. It didn't happen because the teacher came in at that moment and he saw that something was about to kick off, so we both ended up uh, before the headmaster. But I can still remember how I felt and my instinctive desire for revenge. And I'm sure that there have been many more situations where I've wanted to get my own back at someone for what they've done to me. It's that kind of situation and reaction that Jesus is addressing here. Jesus has already talked about persecution and how to respond to persecution right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. We need to take this to heart. And we can see, we can see this worked out in the way that Jesus himself responded to the mistreatment that he faced his example of not retaliating when he suffered and instead entrusting himself to his father who judges justly is powerful. Is powerful. But at the same time, we need to be careful not to take these words of Jesus too far. I'm sure that Jesus would not want a victim of abuse to submit themselves to further abuse if there's a way out of the situation that doesn't involve violence or retaliation or retribution. But again, please notice how Jesus then goes on to apply this teaching. So it's the, it's the last verse, it's, it's verse 42 of chapter 5, and it's probably the one that, that we miss. Jesus says that, okay, if we're willing to forego re- retaliation if we've understood how God takes care of us so that we don't need to retaliate, if we can transform our desire for revenge when someone has mistreated us, then what will our reaction be when someone simply asks us for something or wants to borrow something from us? Do you see how the first part of the teaching trains us so that when Jesus gets to the real application or the wider application, just people who want who, who need something, who want something from us, then we're already prepared to do what Jesus asks us to do, which is to give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. It's interesting, isn't it? So in order to put this into practice, we need to have the same attitude. We need to have the attitude that God, that says God will take care of me And if I give something to someone, then God will make sure that I have what I need. And let's finish just by reading the last part of our passage. So from verse 43, it's connected. You'll see the flow. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? 
And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow, that is a challenge. And this is perhaps the most challenging part of Jesus' teaching. Love your enemies. It, It immediately raises the question, well, who are my enemies? Who would I consider to be my enemies? A few years ago, I think I might have struggled to think of anyone as an enemy. Today, it's almost become that anyone who disagrees with us is our enemy. And over the past few years, I've experienced a lot more opposition, people saying untrue things about me, people telling lies to win support. So Jesus' words here have become very practical. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do we do what Jesus tells us to do, I wonder? He doesn't, he doesn't say it's going to be easy. But what he's continuing to do is to give us another way to see things. He reminds us that the way God treats people is different from the way that we might want to treat people. And this is the beauty of Jesus' teaching. Hating our enemies is not the only option. Jesus gives us another perspective, another way to respond so that we can be like our Father in heaven. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to apply this teaching to a much wider context again. This is what he's doing all the time. So it's not just our enemies that Jesus wants us to think about. He wants us to think about anyone who isn't like us or isn't one of our friends or family. Jesus challenges us about who are we willing to say hello to? Who are we going to greet? And we can take that into this week, can't we? How are we going to think about other people? That's the challenge. And as far as the Sermon on the Mount goes, it doesn't stop there. We've only got to the end of chapter 5. There's chapters 6 and 7 to go. So with all that I've said and all that I've uh, read and all of these things that, um, that we need to think about more, we're going to have time now as Peter comes up to lead us to, to reflect and to respond uh, to what Jesus is saying to us this morning.